Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Amber Munich is the Big Game Management Program Supervisor for the Arizona Game and Fish Department. You probably heard her name in regards to the hunt guidelines that are currently open in the state of Arizona for all game and non-game species. These hunt guidelines open every five years. And we as hunters have typically been silent when it came to commenting about these hunt guidelines. Well, the antis have not been silent. And as such, we as hunters need to make sure that our voice is heard. I wanted to have Amber on here because there's a lot of confusion about what is happening in Arizona and what these guidelines actually mean. So this is me and Amber cutting to the chase and explaining everything you need to know about what's happening in Arizona from a hunt guidelines perspective. All right, so just straight out the gate, before I introduce you, um, do you know how many emails you've received over the last... 10 days, week? I've probably received about 700 emails in the last week. 
I, I, I thought it could have been seven thousand because, um, yeah, you clearly have been getting a lot of uh, responses from people, um, probably across the board, right? A lot of people. Would you say a lot of people know what's happening, or a lot of people are like, "Wow, you have no idea what's happening." You know, most people have no idea what's happening until they see something on social media, and then it's a big deal. In December, my email blew up with archery deer uh, comments regarding our hunt guidelines, and today, it's uh, our mountain lion, black bear, and bobcat hunting and trapping seasons. So, uh, before we go any further, Amber, would you please introduce yourself to the Blood Origins Podcast? Welcome to the Blood Origins Podcast, by the way. Thank you. Um, I'm Amber Munig. I am the Big Game Program Manager for the Arizona Game and Fish Department. I've been with the department nearly 30 years. This September will be 30 years. Um, starting in our research um, program, working on pronghorn, moving to uh, game management and have been in the game management realm, realm for uh, most of my career. Where did you get your wildlife management degrees, Amber? I graduated from Arizona State University, so go Devils. Awesome, awesome. I was a, I don't know if you know this, I was a professor in the Wildlife Fisheries Department at Mississippi State University. Oh, I did not know that. I was a, a ditch guy. I was hired to be almost the interface between the wildlife folks and the fisheries folks. Okay. And interact on that sort of ecotone on that landscape uh, intersection area there. Yeah. Um, but no, thank you for coming on. I know this is a very hot topic right now that we're about to cover. And I want to obviously do justice, but I also want to provide a lot of context to people that may not understand what's going on. There's lots of people saying, oh, the HSUS has gotten into the department. They've got into the, you know, the commissioners and they're forcing these, uh, these new proposed regulations on us. Um, let me, so I'll start with this question. There are no proposed regulation changes right now. Are there, Amber? We're reviewing our hunt guidelines, which inform what the regulations become. There are some changes being proposed, but we are not proposing the elimination or reduction of our black bear, mountain lion, bobcat hunting seasons or trapping seasons. But it's all hunt guidelines. If I, if I remember, I, I read through the guidelines, I read through the red lines, and everyone can go online. You can see the changes based on the red lines, right, Amber? Yes, they are. You can find them on our website. You click on hunting and then go to hunt guidelines and regulations or recommendations. And the link is right there. You can even see past webcasts associated with why we're looking at changing some of the things we're recommending. So why are the hunt guidelines like being revisited? Why are they open right now? Our hunt guidelines are in place for a five-year period, and these guidelines, so when we're managing wildlife, we're managing for sustainable populations, and that's our end goal across the board. Um, one of the things that, one of the uses of wildlife is hunting opportunity, and so we want to make sure that we're still within those sideboards of the sustainable population, and we bring in the social part or the viewpoints of hunters and, and non-hunters on where we should sit in that when we're harvesting animals. And that becomes a social piece of the hunt guidelines. 
that social peace has room to move within those biological boundaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, these guidelines are a five-year guideline package, which is expiring with the fall of 2022 hunting seasons. And so in order to get them back in place for fall of 23, we do a review and then in- adopt any changes at that point in time or the commission, the Arizona Game and Fish Department commission uh, adopts changes. Let me ask this question. I just want to poke a little bit. You talked about your primary objective being the sustainability of wildlife populations. And these guidelines are revisited every five years that sort of direct wildlife management practices in the state of Arizona. What happens if during that five-year time frame, something happens to wildlife population A or B, you do change things adaptively on an annual basis. You have that ability, don't you? Yes. That's the difference between the guidelines and our hunt recommendations, which become the hunt regulations. So the guidelines um, give us the parameters so that our wildlife managers can make those hunt recommendations. They tell us for, for deer and elk, they tell us the buck to to doe or bull to, bull to cow ratios and the recruitment targets that we're looking for in order to increase or decrease our harvest permits. For other species, for, for mountain lions and bears, we're looking at total harvest and we're looking at the percent of female harvest that's occurring and those help direct uh, what our harvest thresholds should be in the zones. And so the guidelines set those parameters that the wildlife managers look at as indicators when a change needs to be made. They're making annual hunt recommendations, which become our annual regulations. And so, so we, we bring these um, hunting seasons before the commission one time every year. The commission at that time, well, the department at that time has the ability to recommend changes based on whatever's influencing the population, whether right. it's whether it's um, a population decline, a population increase, or there's been a severe burn, which has reduced access to an area or other changes that could influence that hunting opportunity. And so they make those decisions annually. They, the commission and the department do make recommendations that are sometimes outside of the existing hunt guidelines in, in order to continue managing those individual populations appropriately. And I, I, I hate to ask this question, but because I want to be a blank slate, I'm going to ask this question. All your management guidelines, your hunt recommendations, let me back up because we did talk about social uh, context in the hunt guidelines. Your hunt recommendations, for I would say that's all based on science, as best available science as you can, you can gather. Yes. So the hunt recommendations are based on that, the most recent population survey data, the most recent uh, harvest data we have, and the most recent, say, habitat or weather data that's coming in that might be informing that population. All the social part of it comes in the guidelines review. That's where we adopt the, the social aspect of our hunting seasons. That's how we get to managing for 25 to 35 bulls per hundred cows versus maybe 35 to 45 bulls per hundred cows. That's a, that's a social decision at that point in time, because in order Mm -hmm. to maintain those elk populations, we only have to manage somewhere between 10 bulls per hundred cows 
and probably 60 bulls per hundred cows before you see impact on that that uh, elk population. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. So, your um, I saw the reason Amber Munich's name came across my radar is I saw a screenshot by someone on social media. <laughs> You're laughing already because you probably know what I'm about to say. Uh, I saw a screenshot on social media where Amber Munich said um, it was very taken out of context, but it was something along the lines of Amber Munich said that, um, you know, hunters should pay attention and should start saying something because we're seeing a lot of anti-hunter comment come in on the hunt guidelines. Let me pause before I take the next step and, and give you the opportunity to clarify what you may or may not have said then. What I said was that during this hunt guidelines review process, we had only received comments mainly from non-hunters and non-hunting organizations. And they were supportive or encouraging either the full elimination of those hunting seasons or significant reductions to those hunting seasons. We had not received a single comment from hunters, and if they had an interest in those hunting opportunities, then they should provide comment to us also. Let me, if, if you may, if you allow me to translate. Hunters get your act together because you need to pay attention to these kinds of things. And it makes sense in my brain, normally, the hunt guidelines, and you, you're more experienced than I am in this, but probably five years ago when the hunt guidelines were opened, if there wasn't anything controversial from a regulation perspective changing, you're probably not going to hear from hunters. That's correct. When, when things are good and everything's the way they like them, the seasons are going great, hunters are silent. And I get it. But those comments that are supportive of where the the guidelines and the regulation go along with those comments that disagree with where we're at or are pushing for some sort of change. They're all valuable and they're all really important. Um, we see this in a lot of our discussions. Let's take archery deer for instance. Um, we know that we have to better regulate total harvest for deer in Arizona. And so the discussion has been whether to maintain over-the-counter archery deer or convert it to a draw. Well, mm -hmm. many archers spoke up about maintaining it as an over-the-counter. There's a good portion of hunters who would like to see it go to a draw or even further restrictions, but they're not really upset with the, the status quo where we're at. And so they didn't speak up at all. And so until, until it affects that hunter directly on their preferences, the things that they want to do, they don't speak up. And it's important Amber, to always speak up. Do you think that that's changing in, in, in the time that you've been with Arizona and seeing what's happening in the West and whatnot? Do you think hunters are becoming more aware, becoming more vocal, becoming more educated? I think It's to okay some, to say no. <laughs> I think in some aspects they are, but it's almost always generated from something negative first and then they become very engaged and emotional. And, and typically that emotion comes through on their comments rather than an objective comment on how we could really move forward with management. 
No, I totally agree with you. I, I use the analogy all the time that hunting and hunters are in the closet and the door is closed. And if you just leave us alone and we'll be in the closet, we'll be fine. But sometimes the closet door opens and someone punches us in the nose. And to your point, we come rushing out of the closet, punching and screaming and yelling and cussing and saying all sorts of things that we shouldn't be saying instead of being on the front foot and saying, hey, hunt guidelines are open, guys. Everyone pay attention. Everyone look. And let's send a bunch of comments in that, are, as you said, are supportive of science being utilized for wildlife management decisions, are supportive of the regulation of the recommendations to the changes on the guidelines. And if you have a, a, a concern uh, with the guidelines, then say something about it, but say it in a very objective, uh, clear, non-confrontational way. Yeah, I agree. We started this process back in August with um, initially with some e-news releases and we posted on our social media through our probably I'm not, a, I'm not much of a social media person, so Facebook and probably Instagram, um, but we got it out there that we're starting the review, and we got a few comments at that point in time, and then as conversations continued, mainly about archery deer, we started to get more comments, and so we've been trying to get the word out that these are under review since August, and it's difficult to get hunters and people to really pay attention. Yeah, and they'll, and they'll make you know, they'll blame you. They'll blame, you know, Arizona Game and Fish Department. Well, you never told us. You know, how are we supposed to be, you know, pay attention to a single email? And look, yes, every state agency could possibly do better in their communication outreach. But, but, this is a big but, it's also on the onus of you as a, a state citizen and me in Mississippi wanting to hunt Arizona one day to pay attention and, be, be vigilant about these kinds of things. Um, so I think everyone, I, I want to take the next step here because a lot of people have focused on the predators component of this, the mountain lion, the bears, and the bobcats, but these hunt guidelines are for every species in the state of Arizona. Yes, they're, they're for every huntable species in the state of Arizona. So they cover both big game and small game and predators and fur bearers. Not so much migratory birds because those are captured in some other documents and they have federal regulations that come into play there but um, it touches on them a little bit so yes all huntable species and i would say the only controversy here from a mountain lion black bear perspective and really not even from a black bear perspective is the idea of putting some sort of quantitative measure on female take on female harvest you want to talk a little bit about that, Amber? Yeah, so we manage mountain lions. Uh, we have about 2,700 mountain lions statewide, total mountain lions that includes young. Um, and we manage. Is that number increasing, sustaining, decreasing? We're in the process of modeling it again. So a couple years ago, we adopted this population reconstruction model that yep. also incorporates mortality data into it. And that's how we came up with the 2,700 number. That's the average. And so we're in the process of remodeling that using the 2021 tooth age data, harvest data. Uh, so I can't say at this point if it's increasing or decreasing. The 
the perception when from our biologists is that the population is at least stable and could possibly be increasing because of the frequency that people are observing mountain lions now and the locations in which they're being observed, like they're spreading out into more areas of the mm -hmm. state. Not that they weren't statewide to begin with, but um, less frequently observed in some portions of the state versus um, other portions of the state. So we don't know positively what the population is doing now, but it's believed to be at least stable. We manage for about 14%. Well, we set harvest thresholds by management zone, which is a group of game management units in the state. And harvest thresholds, this is total harvest thresholds, are set based on 14% of the estimated population within that zone. Okay. Once that harvest threshold is reached, so this means hunters are required to report their harvest. Right. And then once we reach that threshold for that zone, that zone closes. Season closes. Season closes. Our current guidelines have a female objective, not even an objective, but a, t a, 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 a limit. And so it says that if the num number or the per if the percent of adult females exceeds 25% of the take in that zone, then for a three-year period, so an average of three years, if it exceeds that 25%, then we would either look at reducing thresholds or reducing season length. Now, an adult female lion is age three and older. Okay. The new guideline that we're putting in place is based on total female harvest, which is all ages. And if that total female harvest were to exceed 50% of the total take in a zone for two of three years, then that would cause us to institute or apply a female harvest limit in conjunction with the total harvest limit that would be set at half that threshold. So if a zone has a threshold of 10 mountain lions, then the female threshold for that zone would be five mountain lions. And if either one of those were to be met, then that zone would close. Mm -hmm. So we could, mm -hmm. if we could get five females killed, but there's only a total of eight in that zone harvested, that zone would close because we've hit that female objective. And what this does, is it ensures that we don't exceed 50% of the lions coming from a zone being female. What what was the difference between the 25% female limit and the total female limit now being 50%? I didn't quite understand that connection there. The 25% was adult females only, which oh, is... Oh, three age, years old and over. Yep, age three and older. And what this allows us to do, so we have, we collect teeth off mountain lions and get the age. That's usually delayed about six, about six months from okay. the end of a season. So our seasons or our year ends December 31st. We submit the teeth age, the teeth sometime in December, and we get the ages for those animals in usually April, but sometimes it's not until May or June. That's after we set hunting seasons for mountain lions. We set those seasons the beginning of April. And so typically we don't have all of our age data in time to make decisions that year on that cementum age data, that tooth age data. 
by putting in a guideline that talks to total females, it doesn't matter how old they are and we don't have to wait for that data. So as soon as we hit that end of that calendar year and we get all of our reporting in, we know how many females were killed in a zone and we can adjust um, harvest thresholds in the next regulation setting cycle if we need to. And again, appropriately, people need to understand these hunt guidelines are from 2023 to 2028. It's a five-year guideline. And these kinds of regulations that we're talking about, the mountain lion, the, the, the objective being two out of three years sort of seats in that time window to allow changes to be, you know, to be captured in the population, whether it's weather determined or climate determined or harvest determined or prey determined, those are the kinds of confounding variables that would affect mountain lion populations over time, which also affects uh, harvest quotas. Yes, there is one nuance to this hunt guideline cycle. We started it six months early, so we're going to have it implemented six months earlier than normal. And so we will begin to apply anything that's adopted as soon as uh, this fall. So for things like mountain lions, when the season is set from August through May, um, because we are adopting the guidelines in, in April of this year, we will actually implement these guidelines a year early. So in essence, it's going to be from the fall of 22 through the uh, fall of 28 or fall of 27. What would you say to someone that's saying these regulations, if it was a hunter, it's, I'm going to use a hunter as an example, that a hunter says, why are you changing it? Why don't you just leave it the same? Why don't we just leave it at the 25%? We're managing for sustainable mountain lion populations, and this allows us to respond more quickly. There are so many factors other than harvest influencing our populations today. Um, the weather conditions, the drought conditions, and habitat conditions in Arizona are impacting our populations and impacting recruitment. And so by monitoring the female segment and recruitment of wildlife, we are able to um, respond more quickly and adapt to those kind of changes that are occurring. We don't get behind the eight ball, basically. No, that's and that's exactly the kind of answer I expected out of someone like you, in that I think people don't often get to interact, obviously, with someone of your caliber and realize, one, the passion that you have for the wildlife and the resources of the state, two, the rigor and the thought that gets put into establishing things like these hunt guidelines and the science that goes behind it, number two. And number three, when you look at specifically the female uh, harvest components of this hunt guideline for mountain lion, as well as bear, because you have a female harvest limit tied to bear, it makes sense right because what's the what what's the gender of these wildlife populations that will rely that will allow the sustainability of the wildlife population through time and it's the female and ask any hunter or any outfitter do you want to see that population that really and i i hate to couch it this way but it's it is appropriate that population that for, from an outfitting perspective is an economic asset to you, diminish 
stay the same or increase? Increase, of course. Increase, of course. Of course. Um, is there anything else tied to the mountain lines? I didn't see anything else in the... It's a very short little section. It's on page uh, 24 and 25 of the Arizona Game and Fish Department Hunt Guidelines. Um, is There's uh, season prescriptions one through six, um, and there's just a little bit of a, an add-in. So it's very, very benign what you guys have added. Yeah, we haven't, we're not recommending any changes to the season structure, the start season, or the end date. Um, any other, the pursuit only season is still being recommended. So the only change is putting this secondary female parameter in place that allows us to respond more quickly. We don't have to wait for analysis of tooth age data to make decisions. I mean, we can do it as soon as those seasons are over and in time for the next recommendation cycle. And that's incredibly clever because one of the pinch points or one of the weak points that someone could attack you on in terms of your wildlife management regulations is saying, you guys are establishing hunt recommendations on an annual basis for your commission to approve without any data from the past season. Yeah, that's correct. And now you got rid of that because you just said total female, all female, 50% harvest, and we can move into the next cycle. Correct. One thing I wanted to share is um, we historically harvest between, of the total mountain lion harvest in Arizona, it's typically between 45% and just 50 or 51% females. So 45 to 51% of the total harvest has been females when I look at data back to 2012. Since 2018, when we implemented the harvest threshold system, so we created zones and we- Oh, so the 25% got implemented in 2018? Nope, the 25%. So that was total females. When I say, okay. when I say 45 to about 51%, that is total females in the harvest. It's not adult females. Okay. Um, We've, we've averaged in that zone since 2008 and, and that 25% adult female um, guideline has been in place for, for a number of years. I don't remember the exact year we changed it, probably about seven years ago. Okay. Uh, it was originally set at 35 and then it got reduced to 25, I think about seven years ago. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. In 2018, we established mountain lion management zones and harvest thresholds. And when those thresholds are reached, those units close or those zones close. Since 2018, our total female harvest, all age classes has been 45%, 43% and 42%. So we are seeing a decline or a decrease in the percent of females being harvested compared to the total harvest since implementation. Any hypothesis for why that is? I believe hunters are being more um, selective when they're harvesting because they don't want those zones to close too early. And so they're really paying attention to whether it's a smaller female or is it a larger male. And they're, they're waiting till they have that male um, available to take makes complete sense. 
makes complete sense across the board, right? In terms of your population structure, in terms of your ability to hunt, in terms of not closing the unit, uh, it, it makes complete sense across the board. And if, if female harvest thresholds are established, that selectivity will be, become even greater. Mm-hmm. We do have on our website, um, on our Mountain Lion page, a PDF. It's kind of a class similar to what other states have done on how to sex mountain lions. And so hunters can go to that link and uh, take their time moving through that document to see what are some features that you can key in on to help identify male versus female when you're hunting, when, when you've got that mountain lion um, in your sight. So I promised I would keep this between 30 and 45 minutes, and I appreciate that you're at Sheep Show in a corner of the (laughs) convention center trying to have this conversation. Let's talk just a little bit about black bears, because I know that's also uh, a contentious issue. Um, It seemed like that uh, you – let me ask this question, because I didn't quite know this in Arizona, but reading the regulations, it looked like – it was already in place, or maybe it wasn't. So prior to this regulation change, was the take of a sow with cubs legal or illegal? It was illegal. So our previous legal animal was any bear except sows with cubs and cubs with sows. We are recommending that change to be any bear except cubs and sows with cubs or sows with cubs and cubs. So what's the difference? Because I read it and I was like, it's, it's, is it semantics or is there a, a, a clear difference? It's mostly semantics, but there are occasions where a cub gets separated from the female or it's, or the sows hiding behind bushes and all you see is that cub there. And so we are clearly stating that it is not lawful to take a cub, regardless if you see the sow with it or not. Good. Perfect. That's, I can't see why hunters would be in, you know, against something like that. We're 99% of us would be, that's absolutely correct. Again, tied to the sustainability of the population. And it's very uncommon for a cub to be taken anyways. And so, so the chances of hunters coming in, becoming unintentionally violating are very low. Um, again, the only other thing I saw in the black bear regulation change was there was the addition of, again, the same three-year mean total female harvest. And this was 40% for the unit. Did you have a percentage before this one, just like mountain lions? We did not have a percentage before. We always managed off the female harvest limits associated with each game management unit. Uh, this just puts that secondary parameter in place. It's a pretty typical based on research or and based on literature and benchmarking with other states in the Western US on a sustainable bear population is if you are harvesting less than 40% of those animals. The other change for, for bear is in our spring bear hunt opportunity. And we were starting, we had expanded our spring bear hop opportunity many years ago, probably about 15 years ago, to help us address um, 
nuisance or conflict bear situations in near communities. And we wanted to be able to get hunters in on those bears rather than having department staff removing them when they, when they had those conflicts occurring. We were not effective in getting hunters um, in place to remove those bears at, with, within the timing that we needed it done. And so we have seen over time an increase of female bear take in the spring timeframe because we've moved those seasons, we've extended them into May, June, and July. And mm. so our recommendation is to pull that back for a 35-day season between late March and the end of April in order to continue to um, limit or minimize the take of females. I think the most important thing you said there was you did that because of experience and data. You, you put something in place. We said, this is what we want. We want to increase hunter opportunity. And over time, realize that, wow, this it logistically just cannot happen. Yeah. And to the female point, you were taking more females than you wanted. Correct. Well, um, I, I know that in the last three or four days, I've probably been hit dozens of times about the Arizona, whatever it is. We've now clarified what it is. But just like you have received hundreds of emails from zero degrees to 180 degrees about what is going on in the state of Arizona, um, I really, really am grateful that you took the time out of your day to just have this very short but really important conversation about just laying the framework. Here is what's happening, people. Uh, here's what's happening, hunters, specifically. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, it's easy to get confused on what's happening and to get misinformation and to be able to to actually have an opportunity to to state it in a in a venue or avenue that people are listening to is mm -hmm. it's great. Mm -hmm. Amber, are you a hunter? Do you hunt? I am a hunter. Um, awesome. I have not been drawn in a few years, so I'm a little frustrated. But uh. <laughs> well, you need to speak to the commissioners about that. <laughs> I think we know a couple of them. Yes, we do know a couple of them. <laughs> um, were you raised in Arizona? I am an Arizona native, born and raised, running the desert. Um, love the Sonoran Desert. Can't stand cold weather. When I look out the windows here, there's snow on those mountains, and I, I just don't want to go outside. <laughs> well, Amber, from from me and from my kids and my grandkids that want to hunt in Arizona one day, um, you don't know much about Blood Origins, but really we're interested in just being able to convey the truth about what's happening with hunting, the truth about who hunters are. And we're very, very fortunate to have people like you in the position that you are in looking after the wildlife resources that one day my kids and my grandkids could partake in in the state of Arizona. So I just want to say thank you to you. You're welcome. Thank you. There's, there's one last thing. On our website, we do have a video on the hunt recommendation process. And so if people are interested in viewing that, 
again, they go to hunting and then the hunt guidelines recommendations um, box. And at near the top of that, they'll see a link to the video that, that shows the hunt recommendation process. And just as a reminder from everyone, based on what we said in the beginning of this podcast, if you want your voice heard around these hunt guidelines, uh, we would suggest emailing. There's an email address on the hunt guidelines website. Um, I can actually get to it right now so that everyone can hear about it. azhuntguidelines at azgfd.gov. Send an email. Be cordial. Be objective. Be respectful. Uh, and be forthcoming in uh, your opinion about these hunt guidelines. If you're a hunter, you should be supportive of these hunt guidelines. They are uh, in the interest of the state and the resources and maintaining the sustainability of those resources for future generations, your kids and your grandkids one day. Anything else that I missed, Amber? I don't think so. We covered a lot. Sure. I, again, very much appreciate you and... Um, Thank you. Enjoy Sheep Week. Thank you. I will. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.